0: Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Well, good morning. Howdy. Howdy. How, okay. Okay. Um, my name is Taylor Russell uh, and I'm on staff up here at Grace. I'm actually our production coordinator. So my normal job day-to-day, week-to-week is with our, uh, with our sound systems and our lighting, uh, and I love it. But my passion is getting to teach. I love getting to teach the Bible. I love getting to preach. And so I'm incredibly excited to be uh, with you all this morning in the second week over here at Southwood. Man, I- I'll tell you, uh, when, I, when someone told me that there was going to be a Southwood College summer service, uh, I, I had I had no hopes, but it, this is awesome. This is this is, i am I'm, I'm 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 i am sorry i am am not ai was not a believer, but uh, y'all have proved me wrong, and this is awesome. So I'm excited to be with y'all this morning. I, I'm 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 so pumped. A little bit about myself. I uh, graduated from A and M in 2014, uh, and I came on staff here in the uh, fellows department in college ministry. Now I did that for two years. That's really where I kind of developed a love for getting to teach and and preach and. Um, I got married this past January, so I'm, I'm a married man, and that's been going great. Um, and yeah, so I work here right now in our production department. Um, this morning, you know, last week, uh, as Dylan kicked it off, y'all learned that we're going through the parables um, of uh, Jesus this summer. Uh, And this morning I'm going to be teaching over the parable of the unforgiving servant. And just kind of a quick recap on what the parables were, if you weren't here last week or uh, if you forgot, which is totally possible. The parables uh, are these stories that Jesus taught um, to his disciples and the people that were following him throughout his ministry. And the point of the parables is Jesus was telling people truths that he wanted them to know about what it would be like to, to live in the kingdom of God. What are the things that Jesus values? And so the parables, it means to go alongside. These parables were things that Jesus taught to go alongside the truths that he was trying to get people to understand. Uh, And so this summer, y'all will be going through all the parables with a different um, uh, speaker up here every week. Um, But I get the amazing privilege to teach the unforgiving servant, which is one that kind of slams you. So you know, we're starting off week two, kind of intense. Um, but man, it's amazing uh, because within 14 verses, um, this small little par- parable, you know, if you're fl- thumbing through your Bible, you'll easily miss it. In these 14 verses, you-, you see the entire story of the Bible unfold from the depths of man's sin uh, to the greatness of God's uh, mercy and forgiveness in just these 14 verses. So I think this is an amazing parable to learn. Um, if you're trying to teach somebody, man, what does the Bible say? What, what, is, the- what is the overall arching message of the Bible, you could tell somebody that in this parable. So it's, it's incredibly uh, it's incredibly interesting to uh, understand. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to chapter 18. The parable starts in 21. I'm going to give us a little bit of background first before we start reading there, though. So at the beginning of chapter 18... Um, we're at a spot in Jesus' ministry where he's been teaching for a few years, right? His disciples, the guys that are following him around, they've been seeing him perform miracles and teach wisdom to uh, people that's just mind-blowing for a couple years now. And to the disciples, um, man, they're starting to believe maybe this guy really is uh, the guy that he says he is. Maybe he really is the son of God. Maybe he really is the king that the, the prophets promised in the Old Testament. Maybe he really is all of these things. And if he is... Well, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for uh, the guy that's his right-hand man, the the close group of people that follow him around week to week and month to month and are learning from him? What does it mean if he's king and I'm the next guy, right? And so at the beginning of chapter 18, they ask this question. uh, um, They ask the question of who will be the greatest in the kingdom, right? And they're asking this question because, they think that maybe there's something in it for them in the long run, right? They're looking at the future. Maybe this guy is the king. Maybe this guy really is the son of God. I'm right there with him. What does that, what does that entail for me? So as 18 goes along, Jesus is teaching these stories of who is the greatest in the kingdom. And his little secret is that uh, none of them are the greatest in the kingdom, right? He's really trying to get people to understand that to live uh, within the kingdom values, to be able to live in the kingdom of God, your, your way of living has to be radically changed, but he's not there yet, and so he's telling them these stories, and he gets done telling this story about how you are to forgive your brother or your sister just before we get into this parable. He says, you're supposed to give your, your brother or your sister, in this way, uh, you take him before uh, your friends, you take him before the congregation, yada, yada, yada. That part's not really important to where we are this morning, but what happens is Peter gets to the end of that, okay, I'm supposed to, give my, I'm supposed to forgive my brother, I'm supposed to forgive my sister. How many times am I supposed to forgive them? And so Peter asks this question, uh, Jesus, how many times ought we to forgive our brother or our sister? And that's where our our passage from this morning kind of picks up. So if you have your Bibles and you want to read along, I'll be in chapter 18 starting in verse 21. If you don't have it, I'm going to try to read this super interestingly. So maybe it'll be fun for us all. But I'm going to read the whole thing. Um, it's only 14 verses, like I said. I think it'll give us a lot of context to actually read through the whole passage um, uh, all at the same time. So, starting in verse 21, it says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who has wished to settle accounts with his servant. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant fell on his knees, though, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you back everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him of all his debt. But when that same servant went out, He found one of his fellow servants, who had owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So the fellow servant fell on his knees and pleaded with him, have patience on me, and I'll pay you. But he refused, and he went and put the servant in prison until he should pay all of his debt. When a fellow servant saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And in anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. And so also my heavenly father will do to every single one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If y'all would pray with me real quick. God, I thank you so much. Um, for your word Lord and that we have the privilege of getting to sit in a place like this and and read and study your word that Lord we don't deserve but you've given us graciously to learn about you and and the salvation that you bring but Lord in, in stories like this we get to learn about the things that you value and God forgiveness is at the top of that list and I pray this morning as we study something like forgiveness, something that seems so foundational to the Christian faith, something that might seem um, a little bit uh, elementary for us to be studying this morning, Lord, I pray that you give us hearts that uh, can understand this passage to the degree that you meant it to. That this isn't just a normal passage about forgiveness, but Lord, this is a passage about how deep our sin runs and how great a debt that, that we have. That we could have never imagined to pay, but Lord, that you have streams of never-ending mercy and forgiveness that you give to us. And so, Lord, I pray this morning, as we look at a topic like forgiveness, that we would not just check out. But Lord, that we would press in, because this passage will teach us something uh, about ourselves and about you that, uh, that, that we might need to hear this morning. God, you're good to us, and, and you give us things that we don't deserve, and that's what grace means. Um, and so, Lord, I pray that... Um, That we learn uh, from from your words this morning. We pray all this in your Son, Christ's name. Amen. Awesome. So, picking back up where I left off, Peter asked this question Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister? And if you know anything about Peter, Peter's kind of this brash guy. And so, Peter actually answers his own question before he even gives Jesus an opportunity to answer the question for him. And he says, How many times? Seven times? Ought Ought to I forgive him seven times? And we, guys, we could spend an entire morning, I think, just sitting here um, and uh, thinking about how Jesus, or Peter's wrong answer of seven times is something that we ourselves probably aren't even willing to do, right? So forget about the fact that Jesus says no, and he gives him 77 times, or maybe in your translation, 490 times. Uh, guys, we, we aren't even usually willing to forgive seven times. But we're not going to land there. We're, we're going to kind of keep moving. And so Peter says seven times. And it's kind of crazy. You know, if you remember back, they're asking these questions. Who, who will be the greatest in the kingdom of God? Peter gives the answer seven uh, because he, he, he thinks he's actually being um, pretty, pretty forgiving, especially considering the times. Back then, uh, it would have been common for someone to forgive up to three times but not more, right? There's this this teaching from a a Jewish rabbi in the time that says, if a brother sins against you once, forgive him. A second time, forgive him. A third time, forgive him. But a fourth time, do not forgive him, right? This is the world that they lived in at the time where they knew that it was a value of the kingdom to forgive, but they had no idea what the, the forgiveness that they were about to receive through Jesus was, and so they were saying, yeah, you can forgive someone three times, but don't forgive somebody four times. That, that's, that's a little bit too much. So when Peter says how many times, seven times, he's actually being pretty generous there, right? But Jesus says, no, no, you're supposed to give him 77 times. Like I said earlier, maybe your translation says 77 times seven, so 490 times. Regardless of what your translation says, the point that Jesus is trying to teach us before he even jumps into the parable is that forgiveness in the kingdom of God is a lavish commodity, Right? Forgiveness in the kingdom is not something that you do one or two or three times. It's something that you continually extend. And this is the truth that, that this parable is meant to represent. That forgiveness is a lavish commodity. So, jumping into the, the parable, um, just real quick, we we have like these basic characters. And the point of the parable is for you to pull yourself into this story For you to put yourself in as a character. And so in this, in this parable, we see three main characters. We see the king, who's God. If you haven't figured it out by now, it's going to be very evident as we move forward. The king is meant to represent God. And then the first servant, the one that has this huge debt, this 10,000 talent debt, that's meant to represent us. The listener of the parable is that first servant. That's you. That's me. And then the second servant uh, is someone that's done us wrong, Okay. It could be anyone. It could be something small. It could be someone that, that hurts you, and maybe they don't even realize they hurt you, or it could be this massive thing that they've done. Regardless, the second servant is meant to be somebody uh, who has wronged you. And so if we get that into our mind as we move into the parable, the first thing that Jesus is trying to get us to understand in this parable is that we are all in debt to that king. We're that first servant, and we are all in debt to this king, and it's to a degree that, that we can't even fathom. We can't even fathom to ever to pay it back. And this is how he illustrates it. He says that there's a servant that was in debt 10,000 talents, right? But at the very beginning, we, we, we as 21st century Americans can't really understand what's going on here because 10,000 talents, we don't deal in that, right? We deal in dollars. We don't deal in talents. So we're not talking talents as in like skills here. We're talking talents as in uh, a monetary number, uh, as a monetary use, right? So 10,000 talents, what is that? I'll try, to, I'll try to tell you because I think it's really, really helpful for us to understand uh, the, the debt that this guy's in so that we can understand our own debt. So 10,000 Talents. A talent is a weight of gold um, in in the old world. It's roughly 75 pounds. A talent could be silver or gold. Uh, We're going to go with gold just because Jesus is already trying to make this story as obnoxious as it possibly can. So we're going to say it's it's, it's a weight of gold, roughly 75 pounds. And, um, you know, uh, inflation over 2,000 years. The lowest numbers that I could find for what a talent, a single talent might equal is right around low estimates of $30,000 with high estimates. There's some that even go higher, but a normal high estimate of around a million dollars, right? So one talent is just this obnoxious, crazy, absurd amount of money. Uh, But this guy doesn't just owe one, right? He doesn't just owe a million dollars here. This guy, it says he owes 10,000 of these talents. But what's even crazier is that 10,000 doesn't even really represent how much money this guy owed, right? Ten thousand in the Greek world was a is a word that was meant to mean countless. It, it was used almost as a hyperbole, right? The word is myriads. If you've ever heard the term a myriad of maybe angels in the Bible, uh, it's really just meant to to uh, depict this is a countless number of things, right? It, 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 ten thousand, countless. It would it would essentially be like us saying a bajillion, okay? So. So if you say a bajillion, a zillion, that's how much this guy owes. This guy essentially owes a bajillion talents. And if you try to add it up, I know some of us are probably engineers in the room. We're not really supposed to do this, but he owes anywhere from $300 million to a trillion dollars. Right, okay, we'll split it in the middle. We'll say he owes $500 billion just on his own. And it's just absolutely Absurd amount of money, right? Thinking about owing five hundred billion dollars just as one person—that's that's, that's mind blowing. Um, but but what's crazy uh, is that this guy thinks that he can pay it back, right? If you realize in, in verse twenty six or whatever, he says, uh, "Have patience with me because I'll pay you back everything." I don't know about you. I can't pay back a trillion dollar debt, but maybe this guy has a good job. Um, so let's. Let's check it out. Maybe this guy does have a good job. Maybe he can pay it back. So what does an average worker in this day make? Would he be able to pay back this debt? Well, not getting too technical, but we'll kind of go from like a 30,000-foot uh, you know, view. The average worker, the average labor in this day makes about a denarius, okay? A denarius is a day's work, and 6,000 of those equals a talent, okay? So one day's work of labor Equals, or or, sorry, one day of labor is a denarius. 6,000 denarius is a talent, right? The average worker works about 300 days a year, taking off for the Sabbath and other holidays. So you're making about 300 denarii a year. If you do a little bit of math, that's 20 years of labor to make one of these talents. 20 years. So so the majority of everybody's in here's life, uh, that whole period would get you one talent. Bravo. 9,999 to go, if we're taking it literally, right? Which we're not supposed to again. Um, but do a little bit more math. That's roughly 200,000 years worth of work to try to pay back this debt. It's obnoxious. It's, it's absolutely absurd for us to think that we could even get near paying that money, that, near paying that debt off, Right? Here's what's crazy, though, is that this is how we deal with our sin. I think, as, as a culture, this is how we think about our sin. That if, if, if we grip on to the horns of life tight enough, right? If we grit our teeth hard enough that we can pay off the wrongs that we've done, Right? Every major world religion, every major philosophy in this world says that you can do it if you do it hard enough. Right? You can pay off the bad if you do enough good. That you can right the wrongs in this world yourself. But guys, guess what? We live for about 70 to 80 years. Right? We don't live for 200,000 years. And what Jesus is trying to get us to understand here is that we are in debt to a degree that we cannot even fathom right? This would be like trying to pay off your, uh, your, your house mortgage with your uh, allowance that you get as a four-year-old, right? The interest would, out, would outpace the amount of money that you get as a four-year-old, right? It's, it's obnoxious. It's, it's absolutely insanity to think that we could pay something like this back, and that's kind of where the story goes next because the word but, just like everywhere else in the Bible, is the most glorious conjunction uh, because, but there's a king, but there's a God who's merciful. And that's where we go to next in the passage. If you read with me back in verses 26 and 27, it says, So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, remember this, this master knows that he can't pay back this debt. He says, Out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him of his debt. And the king just lets him walk away. He just lets this guy walk out completely debt-free. And that is the king that we have, right? Um, the first point, if it's to know that we are all in debt to the king, the second point is to know that we have a jaw-dropping, gracious and merciful God. And, and, and the forgiveness of God is kind of where I want to you know, spend a lot of our time this morning, because that's what this whole entire passage is about. It's about the forgiveness of God. The forgiveness of God, that is where uh, the justice and the mercy of God collides. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought too much about those terms, um, justice and mercy. Uh, they probably live in two, two categories in your mind. They're either like highly legal terms, you know, you think about a just judge, or on the other side, they're uh, big churchy words that we don't use in a normal day-to-day um, uh, conversation. Um, but those, maybe those are the two places that they, they live in your mind. But I want us to think real quick about justice and mercy because in the justice and in the mercy of God, that's where we see God's forgiveness. Um, justice and mercy are two words that are meant to be uh, complete opposites of each other, right? If you are fully just, you can't be merciful, and at the same time, if you're fully merciful, you can't be just, right? If you think about what justice is, it's a moral, it's a moral principle that places a correct consequence to an action, right? Um, that's a, a, sh- a short definition. Essentially, what that says is you commit a crime, you pay the penalty for it, right? And justice is a thing uh, that we prize. You, you think about in our culture right now, constantly in the news, stuff is happening, and, and we are screaming that justice be done, and it's a good thing. Justice is something that we should want. You know, you think about a judge, you want a just judge. But in order to be fully just, you can't be merciful, right? In order to give full consequence to an action, you can't be merciful. So mercy, on the other hand, is pardoning someone as to mitigate a punishment, right? You think about what mercy is, and mercy is looking past someone's wrong and showing favor and compassion on them, and that's totally that's totally opposite of justice. So those two things don't go together because in order to be fully merciful, you can't give someone the right, the right consequence. In order to be fully just, you can't ever pardon somebody, right? But that's what we see in our God, and that's what we see in this passage happening because God in this passage, the king in this passage, he's merciful because he lets that first servant go, right? He has this trillion-dollar debt, and he says... You're free to go. But at the same time, he's just because that debt doesn't just disappear. Right? I, I never really thought about that till I started studying this passage. But that debt doesn't just go away. And he doesn't give it to somebody else. But the king has to take it on himself. Right? By letting that servant go, the king is taking on that debt himself. And he's showing that his forgiveness is fully just and fully merciful. But the story from there kind of takes a... a a pretty disgusting turn, right? Um, And and it's meant to make us as the listener want to cringe a little bit. Uh, And so I'll I'll read again, verses 28 to 30. It says, But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. And And the fellow servant fell on his knees and pleaded with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll pay you back. Remember, that? that's exactly what this guy said to his master. He says, have mercy on me and I'll pay you back. But the first servant, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay back all of his debt. How wicked is that? How, how cruel is that? That This guy just got forgiven this massive debt, walks out the door, sees a guy that owes him some money, and starts strangling him, threatening him, and then throws him in jail because he owes him some money. If you think back to the numbers that we were talking about, a denarius was about a day's labor, right? So this second servant, he owes him about 100 days worth of money. That's a, that's a pretty significant amount, right? I mean, you would think about right now, 100 days work, that, that's something that we feel like we should uh, get paid back. But if you think about it, the reason it's, it, it's, it's so grossly terrible is because this is less than 0.01% of what the debt this guy was just forgiven, Right? This would be like that, that car example or that house example from earlier. Right, You owe a mortgage. You're trying to pay it off with your allowance from a four-year-old. Somebody buys that house for you, and then you go uh, meet one of your friends who you bought lunch for the day before, and he doesn't give you your lunch money back. Right? Th- that's the difference that we're talking about here. But I think the reason that it's, it's, it, that, that we see this is because it's palatable, right? That, that second debt is palatable to the servant. He's like, 100 days uh, labor? Well, that's something that I, I need, right? That lunch money, that's something that you need, right? And, and there's a difference because this is a palatable debt that I think we're owed, and this is a, we can't understand this debt, right? We've been forgiven this massive debt, but it's hard to understand. And I think that's why we tend to be so unforgiving, even though as followers of, of Jesus, as, as people who say that we trust in the forgiveness of Jesus, Tend to be unforgiving, is because we don't realize really the the weight of the sin that we've been forgiven of. Right? We don't think about the fact that um, there's that there's that amazing song that that's kind of new and upcoming that says that forgiveness was bought with the the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? We don't we don't think about that, and if we do think about that, that's, it's hard to understand. It's hard to fathom and. I think we what ends up happening is because we don't understand it, we throttle back the forgiveness that we extend to others because we we, we try to forgive in a way that is understandable to us, right? And, and I don't want you all to think that I have this master. I don't want you all to think that that I know how to forgive. Honestly, I don't know anyone that really can forgive in, in this magnitude. Um, just to let you all into my world a little bit to, to describe that, um, about a year and a half ago, Um, my dad uh, did some things that just tore my family apart, right? He made some decisions um, that uh, emotionally destroyed our family, uh, financially destroyed our family. Um, it, It led to the divorce of my parents. I'm 24 years old and I'm sitting there, and my hero, who's always been my dad that I've looked up to, has just done some things that has just ruined, essentially, my family and my family life. But I remember in those days after... All of this went down thinking, I've got to forgive my dad because that's the right thing to do, right? I've got to forgive my dad because I've been forgiven. And so I remember going to my dad and saying, dad, I forgive you. I forgive what you've done. I I mean, I told him I don't like what you've done and I think it's terrible and I hate it, but I forgive you for what you've done. But since then, man, my dad will give me a call. He'll shoot me a text and I'll want to send a little jab back, right? I'll answer the phone and I'll just kind of be rude on the phone or I won't answer him for a long period of time. Because for me, I feel like I, I need for him to feel some of the pain that I felt, right? I, I feel like it's necessary for him to feel some of the weight uh, of pain that he caused to me and the rest of my family. And so maybe I was forgiving that first time, right? Maybe I, maybe I was forgiving three times like the rabbi at the beginning says I should be. Or maybe seven times. Maybe, maybe there's been seven times where I've forgiven my dad and, and said that I've forgiven him, but I consistently fail to be forgiving like Jesus calls us to. Um, and it's hard. It, it, it is really hard <laughs> to be forgiving. Um, but what we learn from this is that that's what Jesus is calling us to. Uh, he's calling us to, to take all of the, the honor or pride that we feel like we should have and just to turn it into overflowing fountains of mercy and grace. And, and so the third point, you know, if we're all in debt to this king and we have a jaw-droppingly gracious and merciful God, the third thing is that we must extend forgiveness to others. We must. That, that's, that, that's what Jesus is saying that we have to do. It, it is, it, it's so counter to say that we trust in a God who's forgiving of everything always and then not be forgiving to somebody else to hold on to an unforgiving spirit, right? There's this uh, there's this guy um, named Lou Zamperini, um, and you might have heard of him. He uh, there was a book written about him, and then a movie later made called Unbroken, uh, and it is this profound story of forgiveness. Um, the life of Lou Zamperini uh, was was he he was a World War II um, airman in the American Air Force, and he was stationed out in the Pacific um, fighting the Japanese, right? Uh, and one day he was, uh, he was given the mission to go try to save some of his fellow um, soldiers that had gone down uh, in the sea, go look for him. And so him and 11 guys took off in this plane. Uh, make a long story short, they had some mechanical failure. Their plane went down in the Pacific Ocean, and only three of the 11 guys survived. And those three guys climbed into a raft boat and then spent the next 47 days at sea cooking in the sun, right? I mean, it's hot, middle of the summer, uh, cooking in the sun. The only water they get is what they can catch in their hands from rain. The only food they can get is when a, a seagull flies by every, every couple of days, they grab it and they eat it raw, right? It's just this terrible, terrible story. One of the guys ends up dying, and after 47 days, they crash into an island. And what would probably be the best moment of their life turns even darker because the island that they crash into was a Japanese-occupied island in the Pacific. And so they immediately go from this 47 days of just absolute terribleness to the next few years in these prisoner of war camps where they are daily tortured by these Japanese uh, officers. And there was one guy in particular that Lou Zamperini uh, remembers. They called him the bird because he was so, so bad at, at torturing them. Uh, and for the next few years, he spent life day after day in this terrible circumstance. The end of the war comes. They're liberated off this island, losing emperor. when he goes back home. He's a hero of war right at this point. He gets a hero's welcome, gets married. Everything's going great. But he's now living with the bitterness and the unforgiveness that he that he's been holding on to from the war. And and, and believe me, I mean, I think the things that I hold on to are okay and justified to hold on to. The thing that he's holding on to for being tortured for years, that seems pretty justifiable, right? But the unforgiveness that he holds on to starts destroying his life. And he turns to alcohol, becomes an alcoholic, starts destroying his marriage. Right, He starts having nightmares day after day after day, and he can't sleep because he's holding on to this unforgiveness and this bitterness. And I got this video that I want to show you that will describe the rest of his story from there on out, I, and it does a much powerful job than I could do. Uh, but go ahead and watch this real quick, and then
1: we'll... Uh, he went through some it. terrible years where he was destroying his marriage, but Louis was saved by his wife's insistence that he go to see a sermon by Billy Graham, who at that time was a very young man, not very well known, but he was speaking in Los Angeles. Louis didn't want to go, but his wife was going to leave him. And he agreed on that basis to go see him speak. And he sat in the back of the audience, and he was unhappy, and he was sullen. But Graham spoke of things that resonated with Louis, with his experience about how God reaches into people's lives and helps them get through things that seem unsurvivable.
2: I think all the prisoners had basically made the same prayer, get me home alive to my family, God, and I'll seek you, I'll serve you, and you make promises while you're under a dire situation. But uh, how many of them keep their promise? I didn't. And so my life fell apart.
1: And it was at that moment that he made this realization to to himself that he thought God had actually helped him through this, and he owed God something, and he realized what he needed to do.
2: So I went forward in the meeting and made my confession of faith in Christ, and I couldn't believe what happened. While I was still on my knees, my life changed in a matter of moments. Because I knew I was through getting drunk. And I knew that I forgave my guards. And I knew it was a miracle because I forgave the bird. (laughs) And that was the first night. The first night in two and a half years, I didn't have a nightmare. And I haven't had one since. And Louis realized that God can forgive him for all the rotten things he did in his life that he ought to be able to forgive those that had done him wrong. So forgiving the guards and the bird uh, was actually salvation for him. It really turned him around in an instant.
1: He decided he needed to test his forgiveness to see if he really had truly achieved it. And he went back to Japan to meet the guards who who had abused him so terribly. And he went to Sugamo Prison, where they were all being held for war crimes.
2: He went to every single one, looked him in the eye, and told him that he forgave them for 100%. the treatment that he received when he was a prisoner of war.
1: He felt no animosity. He just felt compassion. And they couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. It was, it was a wonderful experience. He knew he had truly forgiven them.
0: I think it's incredible that he forgave them. That's a lesson that he taught my father and me. By hating somebody, I'm not hurting them. I'm only hurting myself. You can forgive anybody. Forgiveness is always possible. It's a pretty incredible story um, about what understanding the forgiveness of God can do to someone's life, right? Louis understood that holding on to an unforgiving spirit will tear you up. It'll kill you. I mean, I think Louis was actually saved physically um, because he, he finally forgave, right? He, he opened up his life to a spirit of forgiveness rather than a spirit of unforgiveness, and it actually saved his life. And not only that, but some of the guys that he went back to, some of these Japanese soldiers that he went back to, ended up turning their lives over to Jesus because they understood through Louis' example what forgiveness can do to one's life Jesus, when he tells us to forgive at the end of this passage, he's saying that forgiveness as a follower of Christ is not a choice. It's an obligation. Because if you say that you trust in the God who forgives you of your sin and of your debt, but then turn you have an unforgiving spirit, those two things don't go together. And so he's not saying it's easy. He's not saying that everything's going to be okay and you're going to be able to forgive everybody right away. I'm still struggling with that. I think everybody in this room will struggle with that for the rest of their life in some capacity. But he's saying it's not a choice. Forgiveness is an obligation if you say that you're a follower of Christ. Jesus is calling every single one of us into a deeper relationship with him. Every single one of us to go and know him and then go make his name known, right? To make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. And we can't do that unless we love like Jesus loves, right? He tells us in John 13, he says, Love one another just as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, right? Guys, we can't love like Jesus loves. We can't love like God loves unless we forgive like God loves. And that's what he wants us to know. Um, And so kind of to close this thing down, uh, I know that we do uh, kind of table group discussions um, afterwards, but um, there, there's, there's two things that I want you all to do uh, either this morning or this week as you um, all get out of here. Uh, first, I want you all to spend some time in prayer by yourself saying, God, show me somehow that I can be forgiving this week. Maybe it's something small. Maybe, uh, maybe something that you need to be forgiving of is something that the person who's wronged you doesn't even know that they did. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, or on the other hand, maybe it's something huge. Maybe, maybe it's something um, uh, like a friend or a roommate or something said something or did something to where it your character and you're just bit and bitter. Or maybe your parents did something, they made a choice uh, that has affected you and you need for forgiving. Uh, just pray, take some time, say, God, show me where I can be forgiving this week. If you don't know Jesus, if, if, you, don't, if you don't know Him, Ask, ask God that He would show you what it means to be forgiven by the God of the universe, what it means that you have a way, a debt that you can't pay. And then the second thing to do is after you've prayed that, uh, I ask that you go do it this week. Go and forgive. Maybe that's a phone call to somebody. Maybe that is a, uh, maybe it's just in your own heart. If you're not there yet, maybe it's something that's a little bit too weighty. Uh, just pray that God would help you to forgive. Maybe spend the next few days praying. God help me to have a forgiving heart. If you can't even do that, pray that God would help you to pray that you could have an unforgiving that you could have a heart, right? A forgiving heart. God wants us to know that we have been forgiven of a debt that we can't pay, Uh, and and that should change the way that we live. God, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity that we get to uh, once again read your read your word. I thank you for the stories of the king that show us uh, the things that you valued. And Lord, I th- pray that we take these things seriously um, as we move forward. I pray uh, for everyone in here uh, this week, that they, Lord, that you would give them a- another great week of the summer, whether that's in school, whether that's just enjoying time off of school. Whatever the case may be, Lord, I, I pray that you um, God, just give us a, a good summer, Lord, and-, and help us to think about these things, think about forgiveness. We pray all these things in your name.